Welcome to Roundtail Radio. Through our conversations, we discover the holy and the ordinary. Look for moments of grace and peace and redefine what we're talking about when we talk about faith. Good morning, Ed. Good morning, Leslie. How you doing? I'm doing well. Well, it is post-Thanksgiving. Yes. And I guess, I guess technically almost Advent. Yes. Happy New Year. A new Happy Christian New Year. Year. Oh, yes. I, I always forget that. <laughs> Every time. A little, a little detail in the Christian calendar. I don't know. Happy New Year. Happy this New is Year. so fun. Um, yeah. And we are also in the transition time of to our... Uh, Changing over to our new sermon topic, sermon series, in our What Matters Most series. In November, we were looking at gratitude. Mm -hmm. Um, And now we are looking at the theme, the value, the uh, joy of love. Love. Which is sort of funny because if you think about, to me, I always think like, oh, well, since we did gratitude for November, should we have saved love for February? for like, you know, Valentine's Day, but we have something very special for February. So, and actually, as we've been talking sort of offline about this, love for December makes perfect sense. Um, And we, of course, have that poem, Love Came Down at Christmas. Love, all lovely, love divine. Um, I was telling you just a moment ago that I had been really tempted because there are, if you go and look at, you know, sheet music, shops and online resources there are hundreds of Mm. settings of that poem people Mm -hmm. love it it sets itself to music so well it sings so well and i was so tempted to do like just a different setting every every week in advent i was like we'll just do it like four times we'll just they'll just be different anthem settings and then i pictured my choir looking at me like is that really what you wanted to really? Yeah. Are you sure? <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> it's beautiful, well, but maybe not. It's that. beautiful, yeah. And also there's so much other so many other great texts to sing. Yes. Yes. Um so I was like, okay, fine. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll the imaginary go. conversation I had with my choir in my head. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a thing. Yeah, you want to create love there, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. There you go. There you go. Uh, so what are we ta- so we're talking about love today and you had some particular uh characters of the bible you wanted to bring into our conversation yes yeah, so these are the usual suspects they are, are very much a part of the christmas story we wouldn't have a christmas story without them is actually mm-hmm. the bottom line here um just to back up for a second so love all lovely love divine love came down at christmas time and that love Uh, in the Christian tradition, is revealed through this infant Jesus, the Christ. And, uh, of course, the whole story of his life becomes this ongoing revelation of love, right? How does, Mm -hmm. what does love look like? And we get to see that in action as his life unfolds. But love is also revealed in these stories through other people. And uh, in some ways, Jesus will point to them as being really remarkable examples of love. One of them being John the Baptist. John the Baptist, you know, was a real fan. or I should say Jesus was first a fan of John the Baptist and uh, constantly pointed to him as someone who was an extraordinary individual. But of course, where would Jesus have been without Mary, his mother, mm-hmm. and then his uh wonderful adoptive father, Joseph, who took him under his wing, even though 
uh, he was really looking for a way out of the drama as soon as it got started. <laughs> so, uh, so I thought it might be interesting <laughs> to kind of lift up these three characters, you know, maybe mm -hmm. start with John the Baptist, mm -hmm. who's such a angular, rough, uh, in some ways, challenging, even caustic figure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, not exactly what you might think about when you think about the word love. Uh -huh. <laughs> he might not be the first image to come to mind. But uh, John the Baptist is really important because in the Gospel of Mark, there is no birth story. No, no camels, no wise men, no Mary, nothing. Jesus just appears fully, <laughs> fully adult. And there he is. And John the Baptist welcomes him into the whole you know, drama. John yeah. the Baptist will come into play in the other, in, a, in another gospel, um, you know, as a child. And we learned a little mm -hmm. bit about him and his mother. But I just thought that, you know, sometimes love is revealed through people who may not seem to be love all lovely, love divine, right? Mm -hmm. What we might say rough around the edges. <laughs> yeah. And so I think, uh, what, so to start off with, I want to lift up John the Baptist as an example of love. Of love. I have to say, I was uh, taking notes, typing my little notes to myself before we were recording. And you were like, yeah, we're going to bring up three people, Joseph, Mary. And I was like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You're like, John the Baptist. <laughs> and it was like, it was like a record had scratched in my Not head. My... <laughs> oh, perfect. Perfect. A what? <laughs> a what? <laughs> Who? What? Yep. Really? Him? <laughs> doesn't seem doesn't seem right somehow. Right? No. Yeah. 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 Well, and I have this image, and I feel like that's come from from your descriptions of John the Baptist as being a little like it's a rough around the edges is the understatement of what he is in my head. His hair is like a little like he's got like leaves sticking out of his hair. Oh in my yes. Head. <laughs> like yes. he's just kind of like could not care less about his appearance. He's all about action and mm -hmm. speaking against injustices and speaking truth to power. Mm -hmm. And he's out there like fighting the good fight. And he's just looks a little nuts yeah, <laughs> in my head. He's on, he's on the edge for sure. Right. And yeah. And the kind of interesting thing about him is he's literally on the edge in order to get to him. You have to go out into the desert. Yeah, And so, you know, he begins this whole tradition in Christianity, which continues actually up to this day of people withdrawing from society mm. and living out in the wilderness. And these people actually became known as desert, desert Christians, desert mm -hmm. fathers and mothers. They all trace their their lineage back to John the Baptist. But I think you've picked up a couple of points that are really important. Uh, you know, John the Baptist demonstrated a kind of lifestyle that was completely counter to the Roman Empire. He mm -hmm. lived off the land, you know, he, he ate locusts and wild honey, not exactly a standard diet. <laughs> um, he dressed in clothing, which made people think of the prophet Elijah, who had come hundreds of years before him into prominence. Oh, so he was reminding people because Elijah was another person who spoke truth to power, spoke mm -hmm. out against injustice. And so I think John the Baptist by the way, whose story is traditionally told always during the second Sunday of Advent, usually first mm -hmm. or second Sunday, we always hear about John the Baptist. It's how the year begins, kind of a rough way to begin the year with somebody, <laughs> you know, as as uh, counter, you know, as John can be to the prevailing mm -hmm. message of Christmas. 
-hmm. Yet he's bringing this message that love is about creating a whole new world. Mm. And that world is set in opposition to all of the injustices and abuses of power that we still see in the world today. So that's yeah. why my vote is always for John the Baptist as a great lover. <laughs> He's the one out there carrying the banner. He'd probably hate everything that I'm saying right now. But, <laughs> but there he was. And, um, and he basically introduces Jesus to the world. Yeah. He sounds like, this is going to be a really tenuous connection, but I'm going with it. He sounds like his love language was action. Yes. Acts of service. Like he was, he was a guy that loved through making things happen by, you know, by the way that he was living his life and his action. You know, I say, I lovingly say about my mother-in-law that she loves through food. Mm -hmm. That's just the way she loves on you. She's just like here. And she's just, that's, that's her yes. outpouring of generosity and love and care. And, uh, and John the Baptist seems like he was very like action, like he was getting things done, even though it's sort of funny. Cause I feel like that there's like a disconnect between this withdrawal, but also this quite, uh -huh. um, rev revolutionary rebellious spirit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, do we know sort of why he ended up, he, he was, he withdrew. Cause I'm so, you know, Jesus knew about him and was such a, a fan. Mm -hmm. I'm fascinated that like, he was out being Obi-Wan Kenobi in the woods kind right. of a situation. Yeah. Great, great image. <laughs> there was a movement within Judaism at the time, um, maybe more than one movement, to, in a sense, pull back and live a very uh, pure, today we would use the word ascetical, which is a very lean, spirited kind of life, devotion mm -hmm. to God, devotion to a very um, ethical way of life, and um, I th there is some very strong feeling that John may have been connected to that movement, but mm. not to the point of completely separating himself, because obviously he wanted people, he had a message, which is that a new day was dawning, and the Messiah was on the threshold, about to walk over the horizon and enter this new world and call people to this new way of life. But he made people work for that. He made people come out into the desert and then be baptized. Mm -hmm. And I think his, his singular contribution in some way was language. Uh, he spoke in what we would consider today very harsh terms mm. about this new language. You know, essentially he threatened people. And uh, we don't find that as productive <laughs> these days. Um, but, you know, I've been reading, this is going to be a, a ginormous stretch but I've been reading the biography of Elon Musk, thanks to my, my book group. <laughs> I was wondering when that was going to come up in the podcast. <laughs> probably not a book I would have read on my own. But uh -huh. uh, in the way that he conducts his business, it's a very mm -hmm. John the Baptist, you know, mentality that there's a there's a storm surge of language always in uh -huh. Elon Musk when he's been working with his uh you know, assembly lines churning out these Tesla vehicles or his or the rockets that he his companies have helped to create. And um, it's it's con it's constantly keeping people's feet to the fire. And I use mm -hmm. that language deliberately because John also called upon the language of fire in his in his words. You know, we don't we don't like that language in the church. We see that as threatening, as abusive, as shame producing. 
But sure. if we go back, if we go back to the language itself and ask ourselves, well, what is at the heart of what he was saying? What what was he really trying to do? In a sense, it was a very strong wake-up call, mm -hmm. uh, challenging people to step away from an experience of life that was less than connected to the kingdom of God. And I think in that sense, we have to give John the Baptist a lot of space because there was an urgency. And for someone in his position, living in an occupied country, mm -hmm. uh, feeling that the forces of injustice were arrayed around him, um, mm -hmm. that's why he brings such a strong message. And of course, he was outspoken towards the uh, local political authorities, and that's what got him killed. Uh, because yeah. he spoke out about someone's marriage arrangement, which he thought was an unethical arrangement, and that eventually landed him in jail, and he was executed in jail. So that had a big impact on Jesus, um, you know, later in his life. And I think it's just important to lift John up as a voice, as as strange and strident as it may sound. I, I think mm -hmm. there's love in there. Yeah, I mean, it makes me think of today's fight for climate justice, for climate mm -hmm. uh, change and impact there that, you know, sometimes it's not always gentle language. I mean, our, our, our friend Bill McKibben spoke very earnestly and very bluntly about what we're facing as a mm -hmm. globe. And, uh, and I, I don't think any of us would have said that that didn't come from, I think we all know that comes from a place of love, of deep love for humanity, deep love mm -hmm. for our earth and all of creation. Um, it makes me, I feel like there's a, a real real connection there for, mm -hmm. for sometimes, sometimes it maybe it doesn't feel like you have time for mm. genteel language right. when things feel urgent or scary or so, so important. You feel like you need to get loud in not only volume, but in timbre and in language uh, about what really matters. I think that's well said. And, you know, if we want to hear even more strident language than that from which Bill McKibben, you know, talks about, uh, all we have to do is listen to Greta Thunberg because mm -hmm. she's much more uh, aggressive in her speech. She's great. So here's, a, here's a young woman who's saying, you know, the clock is ticking. And mm -hmm. she, she often, I notice at the end of her speeches, will say, I know you're not paying attention to me. I know you're not listening to me. I know you're not going to make any decisions because of this, but I'm going to continue to talk anyway. Mm. And so it's that same, that same kind of drive, you know, and I, I came across a book uh, years ago. It was a collection of sayings from people like John the Baptist and Greta Thunberg and Archbishop Oscar Romero, who was a leader in El Salvador many years ago, also a great um, voice for the poor and the impoverished. And, um, the title of the book was called The Violence of Love. Mm. To think about love as being uh, something that uproots the current uh, order of things mm -hmm. in order to bring a new world into being. And, you know, to me, it's a little segue into our second character for Christmas love, which is Mary. Mm -hmm. And her beautiful, the beautiful poem Magnificat, you know, do we ever really listen to that? It's about, you know, uprooting the world. She makes reference to the rich in that in that language right. and how those who've enjoyed life are it's all going to be turned upside down in her view. Yeah. 
And she'll say, you know, he has sent, God has sent the rich empty away because it's a new world and he has filled the hungry with good things. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's kind of like John the Baptist. But if you were listening to those words or reading those words as a person who's hungry every day, who doesn't have great resources, then you'd have to think, hey, she's speaking to me. She's mm-hmm. talking. There's good news on the horizon. Here's somebody yeah. who acknowledges me, cares about me, and shows me that God cares about me. Yeah. So I think that that certainly was the ministry of Jesus, right? Consistently reaching out to the most impoverished, not turning anyone away, but definitely mm-hmm. with a bias towards those who were most vulnerable. I I love that. The, the Magnificat has become such a, a close to me beloved piece of language, especially because I was more involved in the Anglican church and the Episcopal church um, in previous years. And, you know, even song was a weekly, a weekly occurrence in my life for a long, long time. Uh-huh. And every, yeah. and a part of even song is used, they, the Magnificat is sung. Um, and so you hear it every, every week, not just, not just one Sunday in Advent. And so I, wow. uh, I know every, any Episcopal friend could probably sing it, <laughs> sing it or recite it, uh, from memory. It's as, it's as dear as the Lord's prayer, I think for a lot, a lot of people. And, um, it's just, it's such a, it's such an optimistic mm-hmm. piece of language. It's such a. It's joy, but it's like joy tied with love. It's not like a, there's not, it's not like this wild thing. It's this very tender joy and all in the way it's set often. Um, There's always, there's always sort of this, um, you get these really rising lines a lot in a lot of the settings because it's just this outpouring of of joy, of love, of of hope for Mm -hmm. the future. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, it's such a, it's such a beautiful, it's such a beautiful thing. Um, that combination of joy and love, I'm, I'm not remembering the name of the remarkable man. I think his, his nonprofit organization is called something like world kitchen and oh, world central kitchen, world central kitchen. Thank yeah. you. Right. What a remarkable, uh, ministry that is yeah. that's the right word to use for it. And uh, they're active all over the world right now. I was listening to an interview with this, uh, with the founder of the program, and he just exudes joy and exudes love, you know, genuine love. And when he puts a plate of food in a hungry person's hands, whether that was in Puerto Rico, you know, after a hurricane, which is the time I happened to see uh, an interview with him, or they're do, doing work now, I believe they're trying to work in Gaza. I'm not entirely sure about that, but mm-hmm. they're, they're working in so many places across the world where people are in desperate need of food. And yeah. they don't just create these little plates of food. You know, it's a lot of <laughs> nourishment, but, but it's served with love. Yeah. And uh, I remember a friend of mine years ago talking to me. We were at, in his house at his kitchen table, and he said, I can't ever remember a meal that in this house that wasn't served with love. Mm. And, and what a beautiful comment, you know, he was making that comment about the life that he and his spouse had shared together over many decades, but never mm. a meal that was served without love. That's and so beautiful. So I think that's definitely Mary, you know, Mary is that example of a person who, as you say, 
full of joy that her life has been regarded when no one else had counted her at all, right? Mm -hmm. She, in the estimation of the Roman Empire, didn't even register as a blip on the screen. Mm -hmm. And yet, through God, she felt acknowledged and mm -hmm. affirmed and mm -hmm. called to be the mother of this child through whom we would also continue to see the revelation of love. Mm -hmm. And I, I guess that the thing that strikes me, you know, you put John the Baptist and Mary together, kind of an odd pairing, but, <laughs> but they, both, they both have that very strong message. And then you get the third character, Joseph, who's kind of looking for the back door. You know, he gets pulled <laughs> yeah. into this drama and he's saying, no, thank you very much. I, yeah. I would prefer to stay quiet on the sidelines and I'm going to find some decent way to separate myself from Mary and this baby, you know, which actually mm -hmm. would not have been very helpful to her at all. Thank you very no. much. Mm -hmm. But his sleep is disturbed by an angel who says, you know what, you've got to change your mind. You've got to take this child as your own, take this woman as your wife. And essentially he adopts Jesus and becomes yeah. his, his father and then has to uproot his entire life when they become refugees because then, you know, Jesus is under attack by Herod. And so they have to leave and flee. And um, so it's just interesting how his love is maybe in some ways the most practical kind of love. It's the, mm. we've got to get out of town now, love. Otherwise we may not see chapter two of this story. Yeah. And uh, I think about him when I think about all of the, you know, Afghan evacuees who came to our country in, in our part mm -hmm. of the state in particular two years mm -hmm. ago and the journey that they made and everything uprooted and leaving everything behind to start a new life. And that's essentially what Joseph does. So there's another yeah. revelation of love. I also think going back to his first decision that there is a difference there between what to him seemed right Yes. And what and what yes. was loving and what was actually an action right. of love yep. that he thought he was doing like the right thing. Like I'll dismiss and the language is like I'll dismiss her quietly. Isn't right. that what it is? Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, I mean, we'll just, you know, she'll be a single mom, but it's fine. Like we won't like shame her or get her like arrested for it. I'm like, whoa, whoopie whoop do. Um yeah. but not no <laughs> but he thinks he's like doing like the right thing he like was. the societally accepted yes thing the done thing as it were yeah. and that this angel's like hey, hold on that's not no that's not love that's not love at all <laughs> that's not what you're supposed to be doing um and i think i think that's interesting that there's like a a disconnect between like what he thinks he's doing is right and what actually is an action right. of love you know, and I think that's a great theme that often gets picked up in literature or in movies. You know, it's the it's the story of the person who thinks, "Look, I'm doing I'm doing as much as I can." All right, look, mm -hmm. I helped you once already. Don't keep coming back to me. <laughs> and then who gets asked again, and then gets more involved in someone else's story and winds up helping even more. Mm -hmm. There's actually a term that's used for this for Joseph. It's called the greater righteousness or the higher righteousness. So even though, as you say, absolutely correctly, you know, he thinks he's being righteous. He thinks he's doing the right thing. I would say maybe technically, you know, <laughs> based on based on the law, the religious law that he's observing at the time, there is a sense in which that's right. He's right mm -hmm. so far as it goes. Then the question is, how can we push that?
How can we go to the higher righteousness, the greater righteousness? And I think, you know, I think that is a really interesting message for churches right now. Mm-hmm. Because we've been, uh, churches can settle. You know how there's a phrase, you know, like, don't settle. Mm-hmm. But churches can settle. We get into a comfort zone. We like the traditions that we've had. We like the way things are. And we settle into that comfortable place. Mm-hmm. And the problem is that I think that what's being revealed through these three stories, these three people we've talked about, is actually an expression or expressions of love that pull each of them into, I would say, into risky places. Mm-hmm. I think for a very long time, the church has, has presented itself as a place where you don't have to take risks, where mm-hmm. you can avoid that, where you can be safe. We, we certainly want people to feel safe and loved in our churches, but don't we also want them to feel challenged and drawn out into places of calling that may be exhausting? They, they could be challenging to us in many different ways. And mm-hmm. uh, we've often, I think we see historically that change doesn't come without some element of risk. Mm-hmm. putting ourselves and our beliefs on the line. And I just think those three people are so remarkable in the way that they all, you know, rose beyond themselves mm-hmm. to this higher vision of love or righteousness or compassion. That's fantastic. Well, thank you so much for those thoughts, Ed. Those are going to stick with me all week. This thank idea you. of challenge is so, I think, so important. So we all thank you for listening. Roundhill Radio is brought to you by the friends and members of Roundhill Community Church. For more information, please visit roundhillradio.org. Thanks for listening. Roundhill Radio is brought to you by the friends and members of Roundhill Community Church. For more information, please visit roundhillradio.org.